I'm curious if any of you in this room have ever experienced this before. So there, there was a time in the not too distant past where I had someone threaten me and my family. Has, has anything like that ever happened before where like somebody threatened to come against you or your family? I, I don't think it's very common, but has anybody ever had that happen to them before? Okay, a few of you in the room, you, you know how scary of a thing that can be. This one particular case, there was a person who, for whatever reason, uh, was not mentally stable and had decided that uh, she was supposed to be married to me. And therefore, um, my wife was not my legitimate wife and my children were not my legitimate children. And so she started making some threats against me and my wife and my kids. And, and I want you to know, um, I took those threats very seriously. I didn't just sit back and go, ah, you know, whatever. I, I called Matt Ankoviak, the head of security at the church. We called the police. We're putting in reports. We're doing all this stuff because I don't want someone coming to my house and hurting the people that I love. It, it was a scary season for a bit because we just didn't know, like, is this person going to just show up at our doorstep and armed and dangerous? I, I remember the, the feeling that I had when I got that threat. Has, has anything like that happened to you before? Because if it's never happened to you, you need to park in that feeling for a moment. It's it's important feeling to try to, to, to try to feel, to, to put on like a shirt to see what it's like when someone threatens you. So, so just imagine with me, we're going to do a little scenario here. Imagine you get a phone call from the police and the police tell you, uh, we have gotten some intel that there is somebody who's mentally unstable and they have decided to target you and they are coming to get you, to kill you, and they have put out already that they're going to get not just you, but your children, your spouse, your parents, your friends, everyone you love. They have a target of every single one of them. They're coming after you. They have pictures of them pinned up in their home, and they're coming after you. So, so let me ask you a question. If you were to get that kind of phone call from the police who told you there was a person who's armed and dangerous, knows all the people you love, and knows where you live, would you do anything about it? My guess is you probably would. I mean, you could say, ah, whatever, those police, they just make a big deal out of everything. This isn't the, you could ignore it, but you would be a fool for ignoring when a trustworthy source like the police says, this is what's going on. You would be an utter fool. And, and I know most of you in this room would, not, would never do that. You would, you would take it seriously. Some of you would be moving to Canada and you were going to be in some kind of cabin in the woods because you're going to protection. Pro you don't mind going, hello, eh? You would just speak whatever Canadian language you have to because you're going to protect your family. Some of you would demand police protection around your house 24-7 to make sure no threat comes again. Some of you, I know your type, you would hire Jason Bourne to go take out that lunatic because you're going to strike first and you're going to strike hard. Coming after you, I'm coming after you now. And you would do that because you're going to protect the people that you love. The one thing I know you wouldn't do is sit on your hands and go, well, shucks, you know, what you're going to do? Bad things happen. You wouldn't sit there ambivalent to it. You would do something about it. Here's the reason why I want to I say that to you. You do realize every single one of you in this room has an enemy who is armed and dangerous, who is out to get you, your children, your parents, your friends, everyone you love, everything you hold dear. He is armed and dangerous and he knows where you live. If you haven't guessed who it is, I'm talking about Satan. I'm talking about the devil 
who's coming against you. And I don't know the moment I mentioned devil. There are some of you, I know the types, like, you're going, see these preachers, man. They, they talk about Satan under every rock and everything's demons and whatever. And you don't want to take my word for it. And, and I could get it if you would dismiss me in my statement because I'm not the highest authority in your life. But let's go ahead and move to the highest authority in your life. Let's go to God and see what he has to say about it. One quick verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Just so you know, this isn't mine. But I'm, not, I'm not telling you this on my own. I'm giving you the highest authority I know. And this is what he says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Your adversary, the devil, Satan, is on the hunt right now because he wants to kill you and everyone you love. And you can choose to dismiss that and go, eh, you know, these people, that's, that was an archaic way to understand bad things that happened to people. No one really believed, no one scientifically minded really believes in devils and demons. And you could take that route, but I think you would be a fool for dismissing Almighty God and what he has to say to you. The highest authority is telling you the devil is real and he's out to get you. And if you believe that to be true, which I actually think is the majority of you who are listening to my voice right now, you believe this to be true. The biggest question I have for you is, what are you going to do about it? You can't just sit back and go, well, I don't see any kind of threat. You know, maybe it's not that bad. If you know there's an enemy coming against you who wants to get you, what are you going to do about it? The sermon this morning is designed to tell you what you need to do about it. I want to help you know how you defend yourself and fight back against the devil himself. Because absolutely it's true, he's armed and dangerous, he's real, but you don't have to be afraid of him. Here's the good news of the Bible. The whole book summed up in this, the devil's already gotten his tail kicked once and it's gonna happen again. And every single one of us who's in Christ Jesus are gonna watch it happen, that his tail's gonna kick all over again. The moment Jesus died on the cross, Satan realized, oh dang, I just shot myself in the foot, rose from the dead and realized he was defeated. Satan knows he will not be the one who wins in the end. But that doesn't mean we can take it easy. That means now he's a battered and bruised enemy who's out to take down as many people as he possibly can on his journey down toward the pit of hell. And therefore, you and I, we don't get to just coast through life. We have to figure out how to defend ourselves against his attacks and more importantly, how to attack back. Because I believe the Lord wants us to learn how to attack back. And if you are aware of the sermon series we're in right now, then you've probably guessed that my tactic for you to both defend yourself and to fight back is nothing other than prayer. Prayer is our main means of it. Every week we're gonna give you a, a new, broader understanding of prayer. Two weeks ago we talked about how prayer is the, the intimacy with the Father. Last week we talked about how prayer is the power of forgiveness. Here's what I want you to get this week. Three simple words. Prayer is war. I'd love for you to write that down. Because I don't think many of you view prayer this way. Prayer is war. Every time you pray, you are declaring war against the pit of hell itself. Prayer is war. In, in fact, I, I would love for you to, to broaden that a little bit. I, I want you to think about this way, because this is where I think we most mistake how we view prayer. Write, write this down, if you will. It's going to be up on the screen. Prayer isn't preparation for the spiritual warfare. Prayer is the warfare itself. This is one of those things that I think if you could lock in in your brain would completely change the way that you pray. I think a lot of times when we view prayer, we view prayer as like the warm-up. Like, okay, I'm going to stretch a little bit, you know, before I get in the game. I'm going to do a little prayer, and then I'm going to go fight. But the prayer isn't preparation. Prayer isn't warming up, doing some jumping jacks before you get in the game. Prayer is the game. Prayer is how you punch and kick. 
prayer is how you defeat the enemy. Prayer is the war. This is exactly what Jesus taught us. Now, we're going to go to Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to go to every single week. Might as well mark it, keep it there, because we're going to go back to the Lord's Prayer again and again and again. But what you're going to see in the Lord's Prayer is elements, deep elements of spiritual warfare that I'm afraid you might have missed because you, you approach the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, as many do, as kind of this thing you memorize and you kind of mindlessly recite. But remember what I told you two weeks ago. The Lord's Prayer isn't intended to be something you just rotely recite. It's intended to be guideposts for us to understand the nature of prayer. So I'm going to reread it for you, and I want you to read it now with a mind thinking about spiritual warfare. Listen to what it says. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord's Prayer right there for us. And, and I'll bet you, as you read this, you're going, I don't see no spiritual warfare in there. What are we talking about? Well, there are two parts right at the beginning, and there's a part at the end that really, if you understand, really show us, demonstrate spiritual warfare. First one came in, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know if you know what hallowed means. It's not a word we use often, but it means to make holy. Make the name of God holy. To be holy means to be set apart, above. Make your name elevated above everything else. And then the next statement is, your kingdom come. And let me tell you, every time you pray, your kingdom come, them, those words right there, them be fighting words. Because there's a kingdom right now on this earth that is in charge of everything, and it's not yet the kingdom of God. Now, maybe that sounds off to you. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, God's sovereign. God's in control. Well, listen, Jesus himself tells us that right now there's a ruler of this world, and it's not Jesus yet. There's going to be a second coming when he's going to come take over everything. But right now, there's another ruler of this world. I don't have time to go into all these scriptures. I wish I could, but we'd be here till about four in the afternoon. So I'm just going to kind of jump over a few of them. But in John, if you were to read chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you would see three times where Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world, again and again and again. He's telling us right now there is a ruler in this world, and it's the devil. He, he wants us to be clear. If you were to go over, I'm going to go to this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to what it says about Satan. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It calls Satan, the lowercase g, God, the God of this world. He's saying, yeah, there is a power in charge in this world, and it's Satan. It's the devil. He's the lowercase g, God of this world. And he's blinding people from seeing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you find people all the time who doesn't matter how much you want to talk to them about Jesus, they just can't hear it. They can't see it because they're blinded by Satan because he's the God of this world. If you were to go over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, listen to what it says here. It says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power, not of God, not yet, but of the power of the evil one. And even if I didn't read 1 John 5, 19, I don't think it would be that hard for you to see this to be true. Just go ahead and scroll through whatever news feed you look at online and just see what stories are out there. It is evil after evil after evil. It is murder, theft, scandal, wickedness, just over and over and over again. Our world is ruled by evil. It's crazy how evil comes hunting after you. 
I mean, some of you could be watching this online right now and a pop-up ad could come up of someone scantily dressed and all of a sudden this temptation just comes looking for you. You're on Amazon to buy something you need and all these other things start popping up of materialism to try to get its hooks inside of you because evil is hunting for you. This world has a ruler and his name is Satan and he's coming after you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy and he's really good at what he does. And he wants to pick you off. This is why he's saying, recognize there's a kingdom on this world and then pray, your kingdom come. Every time you pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, you are declaring war against the kingdom of darkness. Prayer is war. And we got to understand prayer that way because I don't think the majority of us do. If I were being honest, I think the majority of us have way too fluffy a view of prayer. We have this safe, docile, domesticated view of prayer. Prayer is what you do before a meal. Prayer is what you do when you have a quiet time. Maybe you ask for Aunt Susie to be healed or Uncle Frank to have this thing solved. For, you just, we're going to pray for a few things here and there, and that, that's about it. It's, it's real safe, kind of light. And we have no clue that that prayer is so much more than that. For you over 40, prayer is Rambo grabbing his bazooka and heading after the ancient serpent himself. For you under 40, he's Captain America grabbing his shield, running into the battle. Prayer is us attacking. Prayer is us fighting. It's not preparation for the fight. Prayer is the fight. Prayer is when we war against the enemy himself. The Apostle Paul taught us this so well in Ephesians chapter 6. This is a famous spiritual warfare passage. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians 6. So keep your place marked in in Matthew 6 and head over to Ephesians 6. I want you to see what it says over here about the, the nature of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, and you're going to see beginning both the defensive and the offensive nature of prayer. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now stop there for a moment. If I were to keep reading, I would get into the famous armor of God where it talks about the sandals and the shield and the breastplate and the helmet and all these different things. And I would love to dig into this. In fact, I'm I'm looking to do a sermon series just upon each one of these elements sometime in the future because I think these are so important. But basically, almost all of them are defensive in nature. We have to defend ourselves against the enemy. And what he's saying, Paul is saying a couple things that are really important. The first thing he's saying is the devil's real. And his minions of hell are real. There's, there, are, there are forces that you cannot see and they are coming against you. The second thing he says is, know who your enemy is. That's why he says your enemy isn't flesh and blood. Now, I could preach a whole sermon about how our enemy isn't flesh and blood because so many of us try to make enemies out of flesh and blood. It's that spouse that deserted us. It's that father that beat me. It's that friend who stabbed me in the back. It's that boss who is such an evil person, it is whatever, you, that flesh and blood person that you think is your enemy. And as long as Satan can get you thinking that person is your enemy, he's safe. And here Paul is saying, no, 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 you gotta know your real enemy. This isn't flesh and blood. He's saying, know your enemy. Your in, real enemy is Satan himself. And the reason he wants you to know that your enemy is Satan is because he knows that Satan is really good at what he does to get you. That's what verse 11 was talking about. Go back to verse 11. 
Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes is really interesting in Greek. It's one of the reasons I love digging into the original language. It's the Greek word methodeia. It's where you get the word method from. He's saying you got to learn how to stand against the methods of the devil. And what he means by that is Satan has tried and true tactics that he has been perfecting over thousands of years of how to make you fall. He knows how to plan landmines all in your pathway so he can blow your life up. And he is really, really good at what he does. These methods, these tactics of trickery and cunnery are ways that you don't see coming, but they always come at the, the, the most opportune time to make you fall. Okay, what, what does that look like, you'd ask me? What, what, is it, what does the trickery, the method of Satan look like? It means he will place the temptation in front of you when you are most vulnerable and most likely to fall. And he knows precisely when that is. It's, it's that person who is in their home all alone looking on the computer. They're doing something innocent. Maybe they're doing some work, doing some schoolwork or something. They're not looking for anything bad. They're searching the web and all of a sudden an image pops up of a scantily clad woman and the temptation's right there to click on it and no one will be there to watch. And Satan knows that if he can get you to click on it, he'll, he'll take you right over to your porn addiction over and over and over again. Perfectly timed ad you didn't go searching for, but Satan knows how to get you to fall. Or maybe it's, it's one of you fathers out there and, and you, you work a job that honestly, if you were being real, you don't always love. It's a grind. You get exhausted, but you're doing it because you want to provide for your family. You think this is what it means to be godly. I'm going to provide for my family. And so you work your tail off. And this one particular day, you just took a beating at work. Nobody respected you. Work was hard, all these deadlines, and you're exhausted, but you're doing this because you love your family, love your children, want to give them opportunity. And so you come home just limping into the house, exhausted, and the first child you see tells you, man, I can't believe you left that undone, Daddy. Why didn't you do that for me? Says a harsh word to a father who's already broken. And then that father flies off the handle and yells at his children. Why? Because that temptation was perfectly laid right there on top of that father. In the time when he was most vulnerable, he knew that that daddy would fall if he could put that temptation right there. That's the methodea of Satan. Or, or maybe it's the alcoholic and he's driving down the street. He's not doing anything bad. He's not looking for a liquor store. He's driving by at night, though, and then there's a little flicker of light right there on the liquor store, and all of a sudden it catches his eye. And he realizes a drink would be really good right now, and his car just somehow steers itself over there, and he buys a case, and he gets drunk, even though he's been sober for years. Why? Perfectly placed little flicker of light to get your eyes looking, because Satan knows he can get you, he can get you to fall when you're vulnerable. Those are the methodea of Satan. There are some of you in this room, you've fallen prey to it. You're married, but your relationship isn't working well. You don't feel loved. You don't feel cherished. You're struggling with your relationship with your spouse. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get a Facebook message from a college fling that you had saying, oh, it's so good to reconnect with you. I'd love to talk with you. And it seems harmless and you reconnect, but you're vulnerable. And all of a sudden, you realize a few months later, you're in an adulterous relationship. You don't even know how you got there. You know how you got there? Satan put a temptation right in front of you when you were the most vulnerable. These are the methodea of him. He knows how to tempt you when you're most likely to fall. You see, the bad news is we have an enemy, and he's really good at what he does. But I got some really good news for you. We have a God who's bigger than our enemy, and he will not allow Satan to tempt us beyond what we can handle. You don't take my word for it. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it'll tell you that. It says that God won't allow Satan to tempt you beyond what you can handle, but there will always be a way of escape. There'll be a way for you to get out of it. God governs how much Satan is allowed to tempt you. 
So he can take you to a point, but he cannot make you fall. That's good news and bad news. It's good news because there's always a way of escape. It's bad news because the guilt falls on us, not on him. We don't get to blame the enemy. What we get to do is fight back. And God tells us how we fight back. And if you haven't guessed it yet, it's prayer. Prayer is how we fight back. Go back to Matthew 6. I want you to see this because it's, it's embedded right there in the Lord's Prayer. Verse 13 of Matthew 6. If you saw the very end, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what he tells us to pray. We pray, oh God, don't let me go into temptation. And when temptation comes, we pray, oh God, deliver me from evil. Now, more than likely on your version, you'll have a little footnote under the word by evil right after it. And if you look down on the bottom, it'll say, or deliver us from the evil one. And the reason why that footnote is there is because in Greek, literally, it says, and deliver us from the evil. And it could be either the evil thing or the evil one. And I think it's, it's intended to be ambiguous because he's trying to say there is an enemy out to get you and he's throwing these landmines. And so what do you do when you have temptation that feels overwhelming? You ask God, deliver me from whatever this evil temptation is. Deliver me from the attack of the enemy. You pray. And let me tell you why this is so brilliant. This is where the, where the enemy, Satan, messes up over and over again. You see, the moment you start thinking about God, instead of whatever you're tempted by, all of a sudden it loses its grip on you. The, the tactic of the enemy is to get you dwelling on whatever that thing is that is tempting you and to try with your own willpower to fight against it. Okay, I'm not going to drink that drink. I'm not going to drink that drink. I'm not going to look at that website. I'm not going to look at that website. And you're going to try to fight against it. But the problem is you're just thinking about it again and again and again and again, which draws you like a mosquito to a light toward that temptation. But the moment you turn your eyes toward God and you start talking to God about it, all of a sudden your attention is no longer on the temptation and you begin to be set free from it. So what do you do when you're tempted? You start to pray, oh God, deliver me. God, you have power. Deliver me from this evil. And you can be set free. Why? Because you wage war against the enemy with prayer. You take every thought captive through prayer. In fact, this is exactly what Paul says. I know I'm going through a lot of scriptures, but this one's so important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to hear what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says this. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He says, we do wage war, but we don't wage war with weapons of this world. We don't, we don't fight against Satan with AK-47s. We don't fight against him with drone fighter planes. We fight against him with prayer. We wage war against him, take every thought captive and bring it before Almighty God. And when we do, Satan does not have power against us. But I want to make sure you understand this war right here because this is pivotal. If you're not careful, you'll hear this and you'll start to think, okay, I, I, I now know how to defend myself. And you imagine a soldier who has a sword, who, or excuse me, who has a shield and who has a breastplate and Satan's coming after you and your only prayer is, oh God, let me not fall. Oh God, let me not fall. Oh God, let me not fall. As if that's victory. But defense is not the most important part of prayer. Offense is the most important part of prayer. Because prayer is not just how you defend yourself. Prayer is how you fight against the enemy. I want you to go back to Ephesians 6. I want you to see this because it's super simple to miss it. There is one particular part of the armor of God that is offensive, not defensive. 
the vast majority are defensive in nature, how you defend yourself. But I want you to go to verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6 and look at the one thing he puts in our hands that means fight. Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. That's the last of the defensive elements. It says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want you to grab the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the moment you put a sword in the hand of a soldier, you are now giving that soldier instructions to fight. If you only give him a shield, you're telling him to defend yourself. But you give him a sword, you're telling him to fight. And he says, I want to put a a sword in the hands of every single one of the believers of Jesus Christ. And what is that sword? It is the word of God. Now, I think this is where we can mess up. We have, and praise God, we have such a high view of scripture around here. We declare, we teach the scriptures. We memorize the scriptures. We study the scriptures. This is, this is the way it should be. But you can wrongly think that to fight against the enemy means you grab your Bible and you're like, come on, come get you. Like you fight him with this physical Bible. You don't fight him with a Bible. You don't fight him just knowing what this word says. You fight him by praying what this word says against him. If you were to go over and look at the temptation of Jesus when Satan is coming against him, he doesn't just know the scriptures. He quotes the scriptures back to Satan, and he's warring against Satan with the very scriptures of of God. In fact, this is what you see in Ephesians 6. Right after he says, you get the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Look at what it says in verse 18 and 19. He says immediately, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Right after he gets, you need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He says so that you can pray in the spirit and fight against the enemy. And then he says, pray specifically for me that I may open my mouth and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is referring to his church planning efforts. He's taking the good news of the gospel all over the known world and he's starting churches and he's preaching the gospel because he wants the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And he's saying, pray for me because I'm about to go attack the kingdom of darkness and I'm gonna bring light everywhere I go. I'm gonna displace the kingdom of evil and bring the kingdom of goodness and holiness. Pray for me because this is war and prayer gives an advantage to those who war. Prayer is Warfare. I don't want you to have a light, fluffy view of prayer. I want you to recognize prayer is the means by which you attack Satan himself that he cannot stand against. In fact, if I were being honest with you, prayer at the end of the day is what gives you an unfair advantage over Satan himself. It tilts the table in your direction so he doesn't stand a chance. In fact, I have a, I have a foosball table up here. I want you to help Max. My son's going to come over. He's going to help me out with this. So we're going to do a little uh, demonstration of what I'm talking about here. So uh, you may not know this about my son, Max, but uh, he's a pretty good foosball player. So, Max, you're, you're going to come over here. Let's see. Do we have a ball? Yeah, we got a, we got a ball right here. Okay. So this is uh, fancier than our foosball table uh, at home. But uh, you know, my, my son, Max, oddly enough, is really, really good at foosball. And I should be better because I'm older, but we're pretty even. So, you know, we can put the ball in here and we could play a little bit and pr- probably over time, he's going to get a score. But, 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 okay, stop, stop right there, stop right there. We're pretty even matched right now. But, but let's just imagine that, that my son Max, you know, he's the good guy and I'm Satan right now. So we're playing against each other and it's like Satan going against us, pretty matched back and forth. But, 
But let's just say my son were to decide he wanted to go ahead and pray. When he prays, he's calling in reinforcements. So I have some reinforcements. I have Hector and, and OJ out there. They're going to come on up here and they're going to help me out. So, so my son Max now, he's praying. He's praying because he wants to war against the enemy. And he knows he wants an unfair advantage over the enemy. So I'm still, we're still playing over here. And so let's see, which way is your goal? Your goal's over here? Is that right? No, no, your goal's over here. Okay, so you guys come on this side. So these now are the angels of Almighty God. First time y'all been called that before, but these are the angels of Almighty God. And so Max is praying. And, and so let's just imagine it's a little different now. So, you, so now let's just say he's got a little advantage coming against me right now. So it gets, it gets a little harder for me to, to defend him. I could, I, could, I could try as hard as I want, but... So, Sooner or later, he's going to win. And, and the reason he's going to win is because when he prays, he tilts the table. He gets an unfair advantage over the enemy. And every single time that you and I decide to come before Almighty God and get on our faces and cry out, it's like we're tilting the table. It's like we're calling in reinforcements, the angels to come and war on our behalf. And what used to be hard, what used to be man against man, Satan against us, now all of a sudden Satan doesn't stand a chance. Because we're playing with an unfair advantage against them. That's what prayer does. All right, let's, let's give thanks to these guys up here. Way to go. Good job, Max. Max would have beaten me even without the help, but it's a better illustration with the help. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Prayer is calling the very angels and armies of God to war on your behalf. There's a crazy story. I'm not going to go into the, in the Bible about Elisha, and there's an army, the Arameans are coming against them, and, and Elisha's servant is freaking out because he's going like, well, what are we going to do with this huge army? And Elisha is just chill as can be. And finally, Elisha says, all right, God, open his eyes so he can see your army. And God opens the eyes of this servant, and he sees chariots and horses of fire all over the mountainside. And all of a sudden, he realizes the Arameans don't stand a chance because the army of God is so much bigger than the army of man. He just couldn't see it. Listen, every time we pray, we are calling forward the reinforcements of the army of God to war against Satan. And what used to be impossible all of a sudden becomes possible. It's like, it's like Moses standing by the, the Red Sea and all of a sudden now they're trapped and he prays and the waters are divided and the army can walk right through it. When we pray, things start happening. Miracles start taking place. Satan can no longer stand against us. This is why prayer is the war. And so often we don't view it that way. We give so little time and energy and attention to prayer because we don't realize what kind of advantage it gives us. It's because we don't view prayer as war. But it's time for us to wage war through prayer. I have one of, he's a mentor of mine, even though he's kind of done it from a distance. He's been super influential in my life. One of the pastors of this church, a guy named Jerry Morris. I'm sure, do any of you guys know Jerry Morris? Okay, there are a few of you who know Jerry Morris. Yeah, they're applauding over here because they know, like he's, He's one of those guys you're going to get to heaven and like his mansion is just going to be bigger than everybody else's. This is how it's going to work out. He's, he's, he's a guy that very few people know in, in Christendom, but he has led more people to faith in Christ than anybody. He's memorized more scripture than anybody I know. He's cranked out more ministers of the gospel than anybody I know. Like just a profound man of God. But one day I discovered his secret. It was when we officed together. We, we had a season for a couple of years where we shared an office and on the wall, he had a poster, and that poster said, wage war on the floor, and it was a dude bowing down. 
And I'm like, that's your secret, Jerry. You're fighting unfair. He's fighting by being on his knees. Like that right there. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fight unfair. I don't want you to play fair against the enemy because he's not playing fair against you. I want you to war on the floor. I want you to wage war against the enemy by bowing down. Like if you didn't get a picture of that, don't worry. I got, I got a little special gift for you. If you were to scan that code that's in the seat back in front of you, the second thing down will be a, a link to click on that picture because here's what I want you to do. I want you to click on that. I want you to download it. I want you to print it at home and I want you to pin it to wherever you do your quiet time. If you don't do a quiet time, start doing your quiet time and then pin it wherever you start doing your quiet time. And I want you every time you pray to remind yourself of this. When I get on my knees, I am waging war on the floor against the enemy himself. I'm giving myself an unfair advantage over the enemy. I'm tilting the table so he doesn't stand a chance against me. I want you to learn how to wage war on the floor because when you do, you're gonna start to see the miracles of Almighty God. You're gonna start to see things happen that you used to think were impossible. God wants you to wage war against the enemy. He's given us the advantage. We just gotta take it. We gotta own it. So here's my, my recommendation for you. Two things. One, download the picture. Make that your daily practice. Set aside time where you begin to wage war. And, and here's kind of a, a secret for you. Persist in prayer. You can, you can wage war for a couple minutes and maybe tilt the table a little bit. But if you would persist at prayer, the more and more you pray, the, the steeper and steeper the incline gets and the harder and harder it is for the enemy to come against you. Persist, wage over and over, day after day, wage war against the enemy. That's the first thing. But the second thing I want to call you to do is to learn how to wage war with other brothers and sisters. Every single Wednesday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. right here in this room, we are teaching the church how to wage war against the enemy. And the more and more we wage this war, the more and more we are seeing the miraculous power of Almighty God. And when I say we're seeing miraculous power, I'm not, I'm not saying that like tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying that uh, as, in any kind of exaggerated form. I mean, we are seeing legitimate miracles of Almighty God. I get to testify to some of those on those, those times of prayer. I just want to share one. This last Wednesday, we got to hear a report of somebody who had cancer that was anointed with oil and prayed over and came back on Wednesday that morning and got a report that where the cancer had been, it was completely gone and no explanation other than prayer and anointing with oil. Like we, multiple people that night came up and said, I had, I had had cancer and I'd been prayed over and I don't have it. I'd had di diabetes, been prayed over, and my blood sugar level has come back into a, a healthy place inexplicably. One guy saying I had shoulder struggles for a long time and I was anointed over with oil and prayed over and I didn't do anything but my shoulder has been healed. We're, we're seeing miracles. You guys know we're seeing miracles because these baptismal waters are being stirred every single Sunday. We, now, for two months we've been praying, crying out to God, there have been 123 baptisms that have taken place in our church in two months. Let me tell you why that's happening. It's happening because there are people who are waging war against the enemy, who are tilting the table. Man, it used to feel like we had to hunt down one prospect. Like, there's somebody, please receive Jesus. Feel, feel like it was so hard. And now all of a sudden, it's like people are coming to us just going, I, just baptize me. Are you sure? I try to talk people out of it sometimes. But the, God is bringing the fish and they're jumping into the boat. And I, I can't even explain it other than right now, God is tilting the table and Satan doesn't stand a chance against it. I want you to experience the power of waging war against the enemy when God fights for you instead of you fighting against the enemy by yourself. You're going to experience it 
when we gather together to pray from 6.30 to 8 p.m. on Wednesdays because you can learn how to wage war with other brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you to make it a priority. But I also want to tell you this. There are some of you in this room and you are going to experience a liberty and a freedom you've never experienced before because we were waging war on your behalf this past Wednesday. We were praying for some of you by name because somebody wrote your name on a stick and said, I want to pray for the salvation of this person. There are some of you in this room and somebody has waged war on your behalf and you didn't even realize it. Some of you have been enslaved. If you were to go to Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about how the, the enemy, Satan, enslaves us through fear. Specifically, the fear of death, the fear of what may come next. There are people who are enslaved to addictions, to harmful patterns, to depression and anxiety and destruction, enslaved by Satan. But we've been waging war on your behalf that you would be set free. And I believe that God is going to set some of you free this morning. In a moment, we're going to have pastors who are around the room and others who can pray with you. And today may be the day that you experience freedom. If you've got something going on in your life right now that's overwhelming you, financial issue, a health issue. And we, we have these little, little jars of oil, anointing oil. And in obedience with the scriptures, we'll anoint you with oil and pray for your healing. We'll do that here. We don't, you don't have to wait till Wednesday. We'll pray for you right now. Maybe some of you are having issues in your marriage and you see Satan all over your marriage and you're gonna pray that God would heal your marriage. We wanna, we wanna wage war on your behalf because we believe God wants to set some of you free. God wants to show you his power, that he's stronger than the enemy who's coming against you. We're going to give you a chance to do that. But I want to say this. I believe the most important thing of all is that there are some of you who need to be set free from your blindness. I already read 2 Corinthians 4, 4, but it says the God of this world has blinded some people from the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. There are some of you who have not been able to understand the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but something crazy has happened. You're here this Sunday and you feel this crazy sensation like you're supposed to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like the first time your eyes have been opened and you see that the Father loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus down across for you so that you could be forgiven, so you could be saved, so you could be given eternal life. And you've heard the message so many times, but for the first time it makes sense and you don't know why. Here's the reason why. We were waging on your behalf on Wednesday night, asking God to unblind you so you could see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all that's left for you to do is to spit in the face of the devil and say, he's no longer going to enslave me. I'm going to have victory today. And we're going to invite you to come forward to one of the pastors and say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm ready to be set free. I'm ready to be baptized today. And we're going to have space for you to get baptized today. I'll likely have to dismiss everybody who needs to go, but those of you who can hang around, we'll do baptisms today if we need to. But I believe God wants to set some of you free. And I think there are two things that will keep you from coming down front. Had a good friend of mine who's gone to AA for a long time say that they teach this, that, that all sin comes from two major areas. It comes from fear and from pride. You can, you can go back at any single sin that you have and you'll be able to get its root all the way back to sin or to pride. I mean, excuse me, to fear or to pride. I, and I think that's true. And I think one of the things that will keep you from coming forward and to trusting in Jesus Christ is going to be either fear or it's going to be pride. It's going to be fear I don't know if I've changed enough. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I'll just fall back into my old ways. I, I don't know if I'm good enough for it. All these fearful thoughts will come into your mind. And they're, they're lies of, of Satan because he wants to put his hooks in you. He wants to keep you from coming into the kingdom. And don't let him keep you. We've been warned on your behalf today is the day not to let fear stop you, but to slap Satan in the face and go, I'm not going to let fear stop me. I'm going to come declare my faith in Jesus Christ. Or the other side will be pride. 
You're going to say, what will people think about me if I come down forward to say I want to get baptized? If I, if I, if I put on the Jesus in my place t-shirt and change into shorts and come up, they're going to know I'm messed up. Yeah, it's true. Every single one of us in this room is messed up. And the only hope we have is the glory of Jesus Christ and the gospel of forgiveness. And it's about time you said, I, I, I'm okay taking a little drink of, of, of humble soup and eating a slice of humble pie and saying, I, I'm broken. I'm willing to admit it. I'm not going to pretend that I got my life together. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I need Jesus. I need salvation. And so today may be the day you say, I'm not going to let fear, I'm not going to let pride stop me. I'm going to come declare my faith in Jesus Christ. We can give that to you. I would like to invite you all to stand up right now because I want to give you this opportunity. We're going to have pastors who are going to come down forward, ready to pray with you, pray over you, war on your behalf. Once we finish with this time, I'm going to lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper, but I want to ask you right now, now is the time to find victory over the enemy. Now is the time to see the power of Almighty God. If today's the day you need to be set free from something in your life, you need prayer for something in your life, you come let us pray over you. If today you're saying, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ in baptism, I'm ready to be set free. I don't want to be any longer in the domain of darkness under the power of the enemy. I'm ready to be set free to have the power of God. Then you come let us know and we'll make time for you. But now's the time you respond.